Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode we are going to be taking a look at Grand Austria Hotel and then we are going to be comparing Terraforming Mars, the OG version, versus Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. And our discussion topic this week is going to be all about scoring in games. So let's go ahead and get into it. Natasha, what have you been playing? So this week I played Grand Austria Hotel. It's a dice-drafting action selection game. It's designed by Virgiano Gili and Simon Luciani. It's published by Lookout Games. In this game, players are competing to hire staff, fulfill the wishes of their guests, and gain the emperor's favor to turn their cafe into a world-famous Grand Austria Hotel. They do this by rolling a big pile of dice. The dice are then divided by their pit value. On a player's turn, they can take a guest from the display and seat them in their cafe. Then they draft a dice. Each die value corresponds to one of five actions. You can gather food or drinks that your guests want, or you can prepare a room in the hotel for your guest. You can earn money or move up the emperor track, or you can hire staff in your hotel that can give you a one-time bonus, a special ability throughout the game, or end-game scoring. The number of dice that have the same pit value can increase that ability of that action. For example, the number five die allows you to hire wait staff. And if there are three dice in that section, you get to hire someone with a discount of three. And the two value dice allows you to take wine or coffee. So if there are four dice of that value, you can take four wine or two wine and two coffee. Once you've collected the food or drink your guest desires, you can put them in one of your open rooms, score any points that they are worth, and complete any bonuses they give you. You also score points or bonuses for the completed sections of your hotel. What makes this game so fun is the combos you get to pull off. So your turns are super simple. You select a guest to add to your cafe and you select a die to draft and you do that action. But once you get some of the staff played and send guests to their rooms, you can really pull off a series of events. The combo potential in this game is awesome. A lot of times uh, when you take a guest and you move them into a room, you get some sort of benefit. So then you can almost build up this thing where, okay, I'm going to grab this, then I can fulfill this order on this guest, and I put that guest into this room, which is going to give me this money, but then the guest allows me to prepare a couple extra rooms for free or for the same value or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you don't get a lot of actions throughout the entire game. I think there's seven rounds. Yeah, it feels really short. You're like, I'm not going to be able to accomplish hardly anything. But then you start pulling those combos and all of a sudden you're pulling in all this extra stuff. And some of those wait staff are huge. Like they give you huge things throughout the game. They can. I think one of my favorite is it gives you essentially an extra die when you acquire the food or drinks. If you're mm-hmm. doing coffee, wine, strudel, or cake, mm-hmm. you get an extra die value for that. That is huge when you're c- acquiring all those. There's cards that allow you to, every time you take a specific type of food, you can also prepare rooms, Mm -hmm. which is huge because now it just eliminates that one action that you have to go to in order to make sure you have rooms available. Yep. If you like combos, you'll love this game. It's so satisfying. So I referenced the artwork before in our last show. It's so ugly. This game I thought was so old because of the artwork. It looks like a dry Euro. I mean, it's not terribly ugly, but it's bland looking. You know, the cards are paper, the components, meh. I don't know. I kind of like it. It's very cartoony, almost. Like, I don't, I don't know. There's something about the artwork. I like it. I mean, it was only released in 2015, so it's not that old. No, it's not. I don't know. I just think it just looks like a classic dry euro. It wouldn't have been one I would have bought off the shelf without 
playing the game. Yeah, I imagine the artwork could have been better in today's standards. Seven years ago is actually a lot longer in terms of artwork. It's progressed such a, you know, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but yeah, I don't know. For some reason, like, I don't mind it. And I I really like on the guest cards, specifically the green ones, which are neutral guests. They all have interesting names and stuff like that. You can get dwarves with armor on and a bunch of cool little, little bit of flavor. Yeah, I really, really like this game. So fun to be able to kind of plan out your move and be able to find that that awesome combo. One of the negatives is everyone gets two turns with each of the die roll, and it's done in the classic Catan style where first player starts, goes around the table, and then swings back to the other side. So then the first player also takes the last turn. So, you know, if you're the first player, you can wait a long time in between turns. I will say this. So I will not play this game with four players. I did it one time, and it took forever. If you approached me and said, hey, Bob, we want to play Grand Austria Hotel. You'll be our fourth. I'd be like, just play it with three. Mm-hmm. I really like it at two. I think it's great at two. Three is fine. Four, n- I won't. It's just too long. It's just- it, Too long between turns? The whole game is too long. Both. The biggest thing is the turns. They don't seem like they're going to be long. You take a guess. You just select a die. You do the action. But the, because they combo so much, that takes time. There's a lot of thought that needs to be placed in turn. Because if you ha- if there's seven rounds and you're drafting two dice, essentially you're getting 14 actions. Mm-hmm. So you need to try to maximize them as best you can in order to pull off the combos you need to score as many points as you can. So in a four-player game, if I'm drafting first and eighth, I just, I can't. There's so much time in between that... You can't plan out your turn for sure. Oh, and you can't. That's the thing, because you don't, okay, I'm going to, hopefully there's going to be strudel left when it comes back to me. Maybe there will be, maybe there won't. Okay. So you, have to, you have to kind of figure out your turn once it comes back to you. Yeah, and just that's too more long. time you spend yeah. in between turns. Yeah. So one of the other things you can do on your turn is you can pass. So if there isn't any dice out there that you want, you can pass, let everybody else finish their turns, take one of the dice out of the game that hasn't, you know, one of them that hasn't been selected yet, re-roll the dice that are left, and hopefully you get something that you want. And especially if you're the last person to go, you'll have even, you know, the same number of dice minus the one. I like that, you know, because there is a lot of luck in the way that the dice roll yeah, out you can last. Yeah, you can definitely pass in order to try to get what you want. But you're again, you're still rolling and just kind of hoping for the best. And every time you do it, you lose a die. So the chances of getting what you need is just slower and lower and lower. But yes, I agree. Because on the first turn, you've got a whole slew of dice. You can always do something really good. But I know if you're the last one, you know, all the good things have been picked through. You know, oftentimes there'll be two dice in each category. And so two isn't very much to get, you know, do much or maybe there's only one. Yeah. I am curious your thoughts on the Emperor track. Um, It felt a little tacked on, you know, like it didn't need to be there. So you have to go up this Emperor track and three times throughout the game it triggers and you score points based on where you're at. Cool. Mm -hmm. But then... You minus points, and if you're below a certain threshold, you you pay a penalty. If you're above the threshold, you get this nice benefit, which is money, which is really tight, so that's helpful. And if you're in the middle, you get nothing, but at least you don't lose anything terribly. That Emperor track can be brutal if you don't pay attention to it. And all of a sudden, it's too late to do anything about it. Well, in the, the tiles that you get, you randomly select what they're going to be each game. Mm-hmm. So some of them aren't as bad as other ones but some of them can be like devastating to your game plan if you don't get high enough on the emperor track yeah but it 
it has a very unique way of forcing you to think about it mm-hmm. because you have to make sure that you're moving up that track or you have to be fine taking the penalty. Mm-hmm. So some like one of the penalties could be something as simple as you lose any stored goods that you have. Well, if you don't have any because you've fed or met the requirement for all your guests it's not that big of a deal yeah then just don't even worry about it yeah no big deal right Mm -hmm. but later on you could lose rooms or you could lose a certain amount of victory points you can lose a lot of different things and it can be extremely punishing Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things that as you're taking actions in the back of your mind you're always thinking how can i climb up this track Mm -hmm. it's always sitting there it's always this little thing that you have to think about you do score points if you get up there, but it feels more like you're trying to avoid the negative more than like, you know, you're not really incentivized. It'd be funner if you got more by going up the track. Funner or more fun? More fun. fun. I'm going to stick with funner. <laughs> it's going to be funner if you get more, but you're kind of forced like, I have to go up the track so I don't get penalized. And it was fine. Like I ended up in the middle section where I didn't get penalized, but I didn't get the benefit yep. most of the time. Was that the funnest? That was not the funnest, but it was not punishing. That's true. And it's yeah. possible. And I did that as my in my first game that I played it. I didn't have any trouble with it. So to me, it was fine. You know, it was just another thing to make it, you know, more strategic. These designers have, have this in a variety of their games. Like Lorenzo, Il Magnifico, has something similar. But you have the option of whether or not you want to progress backwards on the track mm-hmm. or take the penalty. So you can pick. Okay, I'm either going to stay where I'm at and take the penalty or I'm going to go backwards and not take the penalty. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, it you're forced to, you're going to lose that amount of progression on that track regardless. So you want to make sure you're still in a good position moving forward because if you neglect it even the first time, so you have three turns before it triggers, then two turns, then two turns. Mm-hmm. If you neglect it the first three turns, well, now you're just even worse off the next two because the first time I think you lose five spaces, then seven, then nine maybe. Mm-hmm. So you progress back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And if you're not pushing forward, especially in the beginning, if you haven't made any progression, like you're just, you're just hard, yeah, further and further behind. Then you might as well just give up and take the penalty. Yeah. I didn't mind it. I, you know, the game was so fun that the having to work towards that other additional goal of getting up there was fine. I think it gives you something additional to think about. And it's just enough of a hindrance that you're always thinking about it and about how you can progress on that track. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't there, it'd be almost too, too simple. Yeah, game. too easy to do the things because mm-hmm. there's no there's no penalty. Like mm-hmm. whatever, I'll just not do that. Yeah. yeah. Granted, you lose points if you have guests left over in your cafe, but aside from that, there's no yeah repercussions. Mm-hmm. I love the dice mechanic. I love dice drafting. And I love having a whole ton of dice. You know, there's definitely a lot of luck with the dice that gets rolled and, you know, where you are in the turn order. But I still really like it. I think there's just so much dice in there that it kind of evens out. I really like this mechanic. I know I've seen it a few times in other games before, but. That Italian design team takes the concept of rolling dice and using dice in games and just does something really unique with them. I like it too. I I'll be honest. I think my favorite part of the game is rolling all the dice. But that's <laughs> like, like a huge handful of dice. Well, yeah, it's like throwing a fireball in RP in an RPG game. Shout out to my RPG people. You know what I'm talking about when you do a 10d8 fireball or 10d6 fireball. You don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. But <laughs> the way they creatively use dice in their games is fun. It, yeah, it's almost like in a lot of ways it's kind of like Shen Shen Phillips with worker placement. They've done it with this concept of dice. Mm-hmm. I really like this game. It's just combo-tastic, so fun. 
I would rate this game a nine. What about you, Bob? I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah. I, yeah. I really, I really like this game. I think the negative is the player count. Yep. Like I don't want to ever play it. I'll never play it at four. That's don't fair. ask me to play it at four. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'd recommend giving this game a try if you like Euro games. Uh, this is probably midway games that give you a lot of choices, but don't feel too heavy. Definitely recommend it if you've got two or three players. That's the Grand Austria Hotel. The game I want to talk about this week is Terraforming Mars, which is an engine building game designed by Jacob Frizelius, published by Stronghold Games. In this game, players will take on the role of corporations funding projects to make Mars habitable. They do this by playing project cards. The game will flow round to round as the players are contributing to increase three global parameters, oxygen, temperature, and ocean coverage. Once all three have been met, the game will end after the current round is complete. Each round, or generation as they call it, is broken down into four phases. The first being a player order phase, which moves the first player token. The second phase is the research phase. This is where players can acquire more project cards. Each player will get a set of four cards. Now players can either draft these or just choose to buy them, but I think the better way to go is to go through a draft system. After players have drafted and determined which cards they're going to keep, they move into the action phase. Then in turn orders, players will take either one or two actions, continuing around the table until all players have passed. There are seven different types of actions you can take. So you could play a card from your hand, paying whatever cost to play it. They could use a standard project, which are just basic expensive actions available to all players at the start of the game. You can claim a milestone, which are objectives that players are trying to achieve throughout the course of the game. You can fund an award, which is basically like a victory point condition for endgame scoring. For example, having the most heat production. Players can use an action on one of their played blue project cards. They can convert eight plants to place a greenery tile. And lastly, they can convert eight heat to increase Mars's temperature. After all players have passed, they move into a production phase where players collect different resources based on their respective production tracks. So there's some additional things you should know about the game because that was a pretty basic overview. But first is going to be the player's uh, terraforming rating. This is essentially victory points. So the players are going to contribute to terraforming the planet. This will increase giving them more victory points. Also, this game is based mostly around a huge deck of cards. There are three types of cards in the game. Reds, which red cards, which are instant events. You play them and then they're done. Green are automated cards, which typically increase one of your production tracks or manipulate something in some way. And the last type of card are blue active cards. These will either have an ongoing effect or an action that's also available you, for you to take. Also, when it comes to these cards, you have to pay for them twice. And what I mean is when you acquire a card into your hand, you have to pay a cost per card to keep it. And then when you play the card, you have to pay the actual cost on the card. Yeah, that was tough to learn. The first time I played this game, I bought way too many cards. And I'm like, I can't afford to play any of these cards because I spent all my money buying cards. That yes. was that was hard. Like the first game I played, I was like, "Man, that was really hard." I I did terrible at it, and you I think, almost quit playing it. You think money is so tight, but it's because of what, how you spend money on your project cards. Yeah, you're like, "Oh, this card's gonna go so good with my other card. I gotta keep it. This card's so good. Well, this card's so good." Yeah, so, I can't play this card now because, but I can play it later, and it's gonna do this thing. Well, if I'm playing the game and I look at a card, I'm like, "This card's gonna be really good later." I don't even keep it because it doesn't, it just clogs up my hand. It gives me, yeah. I'm paying for something that I'm never going to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think really what makes this game fantastic though is how 
they take all these different mechanisms and they put it together in this one just good, fantastic package. Yeah. The theme for me personally is great. I, I love, love this. It. I love this theme. Mm-hmm. It is an incredible engine building game. It provides a ton of choices. Like I said, the rules overview that I gave you is extremely simplistic. There's a lot of little like moving pieces and a lot of it just has to do with that card play Mm -hmm. because most of the game is centered around that deck of cards. Yes, you have a board and you're putting things from your, you're placing different tiles on the board. Usually they're greenery tiles or ocean tiles. But they all come from your cards. They're all going to be generated from doing some sort of action. Usually cards are the better way to go. There are those basic actions I talked about in the, that are on the board. But typically, those are the most expensive versions. Mm -hmm. So it could cost you $20 to do something where you could play a card and it would cost you 11 That Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. I love this game. It's so fun. And each time I play it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just love this game even more. I recently played it at two-player, and I love that the best because it is long. I mean, this is still a long two-player game, and it's actually longer than three or four because... The game ends when you, you get your reach your, your temperature goes up high enough and the oxygen goes high enough and you've got all the ocean tiles down. So with two players, it takes way longer to get all those out. But it's like so quick because it's it's almost always your turn, right? It's just back and forth, back and forth, and you get this huge big engine built up where like in a four player game, you might starting to get the engine built up and then the game ends, you know? So I really liked it at two. Yeah, you have a lot more time to strategically build up a plan and mm-hmm. execute that plan. Yeah, and just kind of keep building it and, and growing and you end up doing these awesome big turns. If you're looking for a super heavy, big, long two-player game, Terraforming Mars. I agree. I love this game. The way it all kind of comes together, it's simplistic in its turn structure. You know, you have a variety of actions you can do, but I think what creates that depth is that card play. So. Yes, you can only do a one or two actions on your turn, and usually in the beginning, there's not a ton you can do, mm-hmm. right? You're mostly playing cards, but then you start churning through that deck of cards, and you find cards that combo with other cards. So this card wants microbes on it. Well, this card allows you to put microbes on other cards. Well, now those little combos are working together, and it just makes you feel good once you're just like, yep, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, this gives me this thing here. Mm-hmm. It just feels so satisfying to put those pieces together. Yeah. I also love the Prelude expansion. So this expansion, you you start off the game with a few points up your resource tracks and you get a, a special thing at the beginning of the game. And that kind of takes a, like a couple rounds, like the first couple rounds off the game. So it kind of speeds it up a little bit. Yep. You know, those first turns are kind of kind of lame, you know, so it gives you an advantage and it makes it quicker. I really, really like the Prelude expansion. Yes, I agree. I think the Prelude expansion is one of those necessary expansions. Yes. If I were to buy Terraforming Mars now, I would buy the base game and the Prelude and be good with that. Yeah, anytime anyone asks me about it, I always say that they need to get Prelude. I don't think the other expansions are quite as necessary. Mm-hmm. I don't love them, actually, because there's one I played, I think it was Venus, where you got these a lot of Venus cards in there. Yep. And it was cool, but if you're going for that strategy, like you're just adding more cards in the deck, and so it's harder to cycle through. You know, It helps if you're drafting the cards, but you, you have a very good chance of not getting the cards that you actually want. I think those those kinds of expansions are better in higher player count games mm-hmm. just because you can churn through that deck that much faster. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple ways you can manipulate the start of the game. In the rule book, one of the things it talks about is, so you have, I believe, six productions, money, titanium, steel, plant, 
energy and heat. Okay. And one of the one of the things the game can suggest to jumpstart the game is to increase each one of those productions to one, mm-hmm. which just escalates the game to go faster. Because the one thing is, if you don't do that and if you don't play with a prelude expansion, the first handful of turns are sluggish because mm-hmm. you're just not being able to do anything. Because you know, titanium and steel help build cards. You know, they can contribute to the cost of cards. So you're not always using credits to pay for stuff. Mm-hmm. Greenery, obviously placing greenery tiles is good because you can score points and make money. Energy helps with activating cards and it also converts into heat, which allows you to increase the temperature. And if you're not creating anything game to game or turn to turn, mm-hmm. it's just hard to get that ball rolling. It's almost a little too slow. Yeah. It takes the two, three first boring turns just out of the game. Next off, it starts the game a little faster. Yeah, it just kind of speeds up the... Mm-hmm. It's like you played those first three rounds, but you didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, which I, I get, like doing in some cases, even doing that and then adding in the Prelude expansion will just... It could take a two and a half, three hour game and bump it down to a two, two and a half hour mm-hmm. game. I highly recommend doing that. Yeah. Just takes the boring parts out. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. This game just does something special with all all the little moving pieces and everything like that. One of the things I do want to talk about, though, because we've been talking about it with all the games, is the artwork in it. Um, It's been scrutinized for its inconsistent artwork. Inconsistent yeah. is the best way I can say it. There's some pictures, like actual like photographic pictures. Yep. There's artwork. And then there's like infographic design. The problem is it's inconsistent and hodgepodgey. Yeah, it it's very bizarre. It looks like a prototype. In the some ways game. it does. You There's random pictures of actual things. Like you said, there's a card in the game where you can develop livestock and it's a picture of a cow, like uh-huh. an actual picture, not a drawing. Somebody went out to like Iowa and took a picture of a cow. <laughs> I just, I don't know, maybe it goes against our theory of artwork matters because this game is super popular and it is not pretty at all. I don't know. I think most of it's good. The picture it's thing, I don't ugly. like. Yeah, the picture thing, I dislike. It less, at least it doesn't have dry Ural artwork. Like Grand Austria Hotel? Yeah. That cartoony cool artwork? Yeah, cartoony dry Ural. It, it's like, it's really weird and random, but it's not ugly. I mean, it's just weird. It, it, yeah, inconsistent. Yeah. It's just too inconsistent. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't fixed it. They've made it's been you know republished so many times. It's so popular. Why don't I guess why would they have to be popular? Well, yeah, people love it. It's, yeah, good. it's not one of those things that you want to necessarily pump out a second edition. I think that just frustrated people. Yeah, you know why would I want a second edition to keep consistent artwork? Maybe yeah, they. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, we're gonna in the in a second we're gonna review the Ares expedition. Well, I'd keep the board. Like maybe you. Maybe that big box should have came with like a stack of all new cards. I think that's the other thing too, is what you pay for what you get doesn't seem to line up mm-hmm. except in gameplay. And what I mean is the game list price is like 70 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. You get a game board, you get some crappy player boards that aren't recessed. So like you're keeping track of your production value on everything. Which is so important in this game. Ooh, man. And you, you cannot bump it. Oh, if you tap that thing, and just all of a sudden all your pieces go everywhere, and you're like, man. Uh... All of your resources are managed with cubes. You don't actually gain titanium or steel. It's managed with these cubes in this section, which is really cool, and it was kind of novel at the time. Yep. Which is awesome if you've got a recessed player board and it's easy to keep track of. But. You bump that. You reach your arm over. Your sleeve drags in it. Good luck. 
Well, when you play games, you're like a bull in a china shop. You, you're you always moving stuff around and knocking things over. I got throwing... short arms, so I got to reach over the table. Oh, man. And you just, you look at that thing wrong and you're like, I'm pretty sure I was making more steel than this, but yeah. I can't. Or like these cubes are like in, the, in between steel and titanium. You're like, is this a steel or a titanium? And then in, in great fashion, they decided they would fix it through a Kickstarter of the Ares Expedition. <laughs> Well, no, I think you could. I think you could get them with. They kickstarted one of the expansions, and I think you could get recessed player boards. But it's not one of those things that they just offer by itself. You had to fund a Kickstarter in order to get it. Yeah. Or you could go to Etsy and get good ones. You know. Yeah, you can. But yeah, so you get get that. You get some crappy player boards. You get a gigantic deck of cards and a bunch of cubes, and you're like, "This is a ton of cubes." You're like, "I spent seventy bucks on this." Uh-huh. Okay, but then you play it, and you're like, "Wow." Is worth it. I think so. I think the amount of the amount of gameplay you can get out of this game. I've played this game a ton, and I still want to go back to it. I still want to play it. It's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I love it as well. What would you rate it? I would give this game a nine point five out of ten. Me I love too. it. It's mm-hmm. so good. Well, that is Terraforming Mars. I'll just call it Terraforming Mars OG Edition. <laughs> All right. So we can't talk about Terraforming Mars OG without talking about. Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. This is a Tableau engine building tile lane card game. It's designed by Sidney Eggleston, Jacob Friesley, Nick Little, published by Stronghold Games. In this game, players control interplanetary corporations with the goal of making Mars habitable and profitable. Same goal as in the OG. They do this by playing cards out in front of them that gain them resources, give them discounts on future cards, score points, create new actions they can do. Some of the cards allow you to increase the oxygen or temperature level or create lakes on Mars, same as in the OG. Okay, so here's the difference. In Ares Expedition, players simultaneously choose what action they want to take each turn, and then they all reveal the card at once, and all players get to do that action. So there's a few different actions. You can play a green card. These are your technology cards that are going to usually increase your production. You can play a blue or a red card. These are events are red, just like the OG and then blue are action cards, and then or you can do an action. So, so in this game, you only do the actions when an action card is played, and then you can trigger any of your action cards that you've already built up, or you can spend your resources to terraform Mars, which you have to if you have the resources to do it. You can, if you don't have the resources to do it and you still want to, you can spend money as well. Um, and then the production phase where you get to produce all of your resources, so not every turn you'll produce resources. Mm-hmm. And then the, the fifth one is drawing another card, So whatever action you choose, you also get a small benefit. So maybe if you choose the green action, everyone gets to build a technology card and they all do it at once, which is really nice. But you get a discount on that card. If you choose the draw card action, you get to keep two cards instead of one. What makes this game so fun is the engine building and the card combos you can pull off just like the OG. You could start off with hardly any resources, but by the end of the game, you're getting all kinds of resources, increasing your terraforming rating, which is victory points at the end of the game. Feels a lot like terraforming Mars, but in a simpler, quicker way. I think. Yeah, I would I would agree with that statement. I think it approaches terraforming Mars in a way that streamlines it mm-hmm. and makes it faster. I do have one issue with the fact that they call this terraforming Mars the card game, essentially, mm-hmm. which terraforming Mars to me is a card game. Mm-hmm. So. I struggle with they're like, oh, Terraforming Mars is a card game. Well, it, Terraforming Mars is a card game. It's in, based in this on a deck version, of cards. 
It has cards just like the original, and it has a board, smaller board than the original, but it does have a board. Let's talk about the board for a second. Okay, the I, board is awful. I hate that board. It it's is awful. awful. Because the <sighs> so there's a marker that you score your terraforming rating goes around the outside. Around the outside, around the outside. But it, one, like everybody's messing with it, so it's super easy to get it knocked off. If there was a, ever a reason to have a recessed board, it would be this points tracker on the outside of the board. Also, the cube that's used to measure the oxygen and the temperature is too big for the, for the space that it takes. Like, it's bigger than the actual space it's supposed to fit into. Yes. There's like, <laughs> the- there's these like little, little oval tracks and you set the cube on and it's wider than the spot that it's sitting on. Yeah. I get you know, and here's the thing. So this was also they kickstarted this, and if you kickstarted it, you got recessed player boards, which is awesome. Great, yeah, I'm cool with that. the The regular peasant version that the you one you get, got at Target, the one you get, you specifically got yep, at Target. I Target. Yep. You don't get that. Who cares? Because it don't matter. Because if you lose track of where you're at, you look at your cards, you pull it back up, and you reset everything. Which you can do, yes. But, but if you mess up the t- the terraforming rating or the oxygen level, who knows where you're at? And who, that's the one they bump all the time. Who forgot to look into that is what I want to know. There's there's somebody, their job was to take a look at that board and somebody was like, you know what? This is good. No. who? No. No. <laughs> it's no. so bad. It's the worst. And there's tiles on the board. So you flip the tiles, the ocean tiles. They're so cool. Which close. is fine. But they're really hard to pick up because they're all touching each other. And they're next to the oxygen and the and the temperature rating. So guess what you're going to do? Knock over something. You know how many times people are like, I think I think I bumped you. What were you at? I don't know. I'm not paying attention to that. I'm yeah. looking at my, my stuff of card. Just a terrible choice to make for that player board. Why? Why? Yeah. You Especially in a Kickstarter version where you did recess player boards, you overlooked the main board. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's too small. Cubes don't fit on it. And the thing is, too, the uh, terraforming track, which is your victory points, you have cubes on it. Well, the space is allowed to hold one cube. Mm-hmm. So if you have four people at the same thing, like you have to stack them, but they don't stack well. Yeah. It just it makes no sense yeah. why they did it that way. Yeah. And you can't line them up next to each other because the board's too small. <sighs> it's just bad. The worst. But the artwork is nice. Consistent. The artwork across the board all looks like it was designed by the same artist. It actually looks, yeah. It's it all lo- drawn. It's really nice looking. Yes. It, it is consistent. It looks good. There is no pictures of anything random in there. Yeah. It is. Good job. Mm-hmm. All right. Action selection. Yes. So if you've played Race for the Galaxy or Roll for the Galaxy, you'll recognize this mechanic right away. I... Don't know how much it matters in this game. And I don't, it just kind of feels to me like it doesn't matter as much. So, in like Roll for the Galaxy, when you, that, it's really critical what action are chosen because you put your dice, you allow, allow your dice to that action. So, if that action doesn't get selected, it's a big deal. But in Terraforming Mars, the Ares Expedition, you know, you might want to pick over one that you really want to do. But if somebody selects an action or an action doesn't get selected, it's kind of not a big deal. Well, yeah, you're just going to do it real quick the next turn. You'll pick it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's as big as a part of the game as it was supposed to be to me. I I honestly like it. I think it's fun. And I think there's just a little bit of, all right, Natasha doesn't have a lot of resources. So guaranteed she's going to produce. Mm-hmm. 
okay, then I don't need to produce. I can pick something else. Yeah, there's some interesting things to it, and I don't dislike it. Yep. I just feel like it was a big part of the game, and to me, it doesn't matter near as much as I feel like it should. I can see that. It's not as devastating when an action you want to do isn't picked. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Sometimes yep. if somebody picks a green action and I don't have any money, that's disappointing because I can't play a green card that turn because, it, you know, you always do it in the same order. So you always play your green cards first and then you produce later on, you know, so that's, but it's just, it doesn't feel like to me it matters. Everybody could pick the same thing or we could all pick different things. If, you, if we all pick different things, the game will progress a lot faster. If we all pick the same things, the game will go slower. And that's really the only difference it makes. Do you find yourself not caring about what other people's decisions are? You just care about your own decision and that's it? Correct. I don't pay attention to what other people are doing. Barely. I kind of think, okay, I really need resources, but so does Bob. So I guess I don't have to play the research card. In the beginning, oh, everyone's going to play green or blue. So I'll definitely do something else. You know, there's a little bit of decision I make in there. But for the most part, I do what I need to do. I think that's probably, I think that's the reason why it probably doesn't feel as important because in some of those other games, you're really hoping somebody picks that, especially like roll. If I got a bunch of rockets, Mm -hmm. but I'm not choosing to do rockets, Mm -hmm. man, I really hope somebody does because I'm exploring because I need some tiles. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like that decision is super important. Like, really need somebody to choose rockets should i do it but i really need to do this it's an important decision and terraforming mars Ares expedition doesn't feel important whatever yeah. you know yeah i'll just do it next round like, yeah no big deal like yeah. it's not gonna affect it doesn't i don't dislike the mechanic yep it, it's fine but it's just it's just a way to play the game it's not to me it's not what makes the game fun okay i can see that i like the engine building part of this game yeah it takes the regular engine building feel from the regular from the OG version of Terraforming Mars and makes it I want to say streamlined mm-hmm. but faster. Yeah, I like how you don't have to pay for cards. You just get them. You yep. can also increase your production. There's a production track for cards, so when you produce you can gain cards if you choose to build uh cards that give you that ability. Yep. And but also when you discard a card for you can discard a card in the original game for one coin. In this game you can discard it for three. So it just it doesn't feel quite as tight and in a really good way. Well, in the original version, you have to it's an action to get rid of cards. Mm-hmm. So to collect that money. In Ares Expedition, it's not. You, you say, Oh, it. I need I need twelve credits. Well, I got nine, I'll just get rid of a card yep. along with it. Yeah, I like that. It, it's really good. It really helps the game a lot. And, yeah, it progresses it faster than the regular version. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I really, really like this game. I just I don't know how I would have done the actions differently. I I suppose there's some strategy in the way that you you know maybe you go for a heavy um, blue cards action and then you end up doing the action the action action a bunch of times you know and that could be part of the strategy. You just try to activate that as many times as you can. But for me, like the action selection is just fine. Yeah, maybe getting better benefits would help. But even then, I don't know how much it would. I think the fact that you're not paying attention or you're not necessarily always engaged with what the other players need to do for their actions, mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it less appealing then. Yeah, maybe if yep. you were more engaged. Yeah, and but I like that we play all of our cards at the same time. It helps it go quick because this is a pretty lengthy card game, right? I mean, it's, it can be a good hour, hour and a half game. Yes, we all play everything at the same time. But how many games have we played of this where... 
the actions get flipped. It's play a blue card, play a, you know, green card, you know, produce or whatever. And everyone's like, all right, so everyone done playing their green cards? Oh, I'm already at production. I've already played all my other cards and I'm already producing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily matter until it does, if that makes sense. Yeah, at one point it does matter, but it's fine if you go through it faster than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Otherwise, it'd be way too long if everybody took their own turn. I like doing things at the same time, but you're also, you don't care about what other people are doing. So if you like games with a lot of player interaction, you're not going to get that. Aside from what action they selected, that's all that really matters to you. What they're doing in their little tableau, you'll never even pay attention to. Yep. What would you rate this game? I would rate it a nine. I still really, really like playing it. Yep. For me, it's an eight, eight out of 10. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I think it does the quote unquote card game version of a game really well. Mm-hmm. But my my heart's loyal to the original. My heart's loyal to that. I just love how everything comes together. Even the fact that you have to buy those project cards to me feels like thematic in a lot of ways because you're paying somebody to come up with this idea to terraform Mars. So there's just something about that originally because there's drafting involved in it. I I think that probably has a lot to do with it too because I love drafting games, Mm -hmm. being able to see multiple cards and just how do I want to lay out my stuff? Kind of pick the end game scoring a little bit, you know? When you know you're doing well in one area, you're like, we're going to score for this area. Yep. That's really good. Yeah, I really like both of these games and I really like playing both of them. I think they're different enough. Like, yeah, they're both engine building. They both have the same theme if you've played one you'll be easily able to pick up the other one but they still feel so different to me yes that i can love both of them and they both come along on my shelf i think a time constraint will determine which of these two i would play Mm -hmm. if there's no time constraint i'm gonna grab the original version Mm -hmm. without question if you know we only have 45 minutes to an hour i'm probably gonna grab the card game yeah it gives you a similar enough feel but mechanically is different enough and i think it's because in Ares Expedition, you have the action selection mechanic is how you're primarily going through your actions, where in um, Terraforming Mars, you're constantly doing like this, you know, one or two actions at a time with taking just a couple actions at a time, one to two, specifically one to two. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those cards that you have have requirements so that, you know, the heat has to be above a certain level. Well, if we're playing and I have that card in my hand, the heat's not there, but it needs one more step. And you have eight, you know, heat that you can bump the heat up, but you haven't done it yet. Yeah. I can take one action. All right, your turn. All right. And I can just kind of like wait patiently for you to do that, to do that increase for me. Yeah. So then I can play the card. There's a lot of that in that original game. So there's a lot more paying attention to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think with that interaction with the drafting, it just, I think that game just comes together in a better way for me. That said, I really like Ares Expedition. I think it's good. I think it's a good card adaptation of it. Mm-hmm. But some people are like, I'll never play the original because of this card game. Never. I will. If I have the choice, if it's unlimited time and I have a choice, I'm going to pick the original every single time. Yeah. For me, I think I'd play lower player counts. I'd play the original higher player counts. I'd play the Ares Expedition. You know, for, for Terraforming Mars, it's going to be a longer game. Although, it, I don't know, though, because it will end sooner because people trigger the game you know you just don't get to build up as much yeah the progression's faster when you're trying to increase those parameters yeah Yeah. i i just like being able to build a really good engine and kind of get to see it going a little bit so i like the lower player counts for the original but yeah i like them both different player counts in the original just feel slightly different which is just it's still good it gives you satisfies different itches i guess 
Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. That's our thoughts on Terraforming Mars and Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. Next up, after the break, we're going to come back and talk about points and scoring games. All right, we are back. And in this week's discussion topic, we are going to talk about scoring and board games. So there's a lot of unique ways in which games will approach how they score. There can be either all hidden points. They could be, you know, you sometimes you have a victory point track and all game all points are scored during the course of the game. Sometimes you're acquiring point chits. There's a variety of scoring, and I thought it would be good to kind of just sit down and break down some of the games that have different scoring and even talk about, like, what are some of our favorite scoring mechanics. Mm -hmm. What do you personally like? Do you like a mixture of in-game points and end-game points? Do you like all secret points? Like, what is your kind of favorite type of scoring in games? Well, it's certainly harder to score throughout the game, and you kind of forget. You know, even look at a game like Ticket to Ride and like each time you play a track down, you have to score that. And how often do you forget that? So that's my only complaint about mid-game scoring, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout the game. I don't tend to like games that score like maybe two or three times throughout the game. You score once, you play some more, score again, play some more. Because those are, I don't know why I, I don't know why I don't like that mechanic. I think because, because it feels like the ones that you score in the beginning just don't matter because it always seems to escalate. Yeah, almost like in Alhambra, they have those scoring cards mixed into the money cards. Mm-hmm. So when you draw the first one, you score, but only the player with the highest total of those specific building scores. And then it's first and second, then it's first, second, and third. Mm-hmm. So something like that you're not a fan of? Yeah, I mean, that's my least favorite. But I mean, Blood Rage scores that way, and I love Blood Rage. So I certainly won't not play the game because of the scoring mechanic. I think there's something cool about having like a combination of the two because you can kind of have a judge of where you're sitting at with people, mm-hmm. but there's enough hidden information that you don't quite know if you're in the lead or not, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I like that too. I, I definitely don't like it when game, when somebody knows that they're losing terribly. Like that's not fun for them. Yes. You know, and sometimes when you know that somebody's doing really well, they can gang up on you as well. But I guess that's probably a good thing they're doing really well they deserve to be ganged upon i think my least preferred way to score is scoring throughout the game with no end game scoring Mm. i'm trying to think of a game specifically that does this approaches it that way and i can't think of it um the one that's close is a game like castles of burgundy i first which is odd because i said i don't like that scoring but i love castles of burgundy but you you score points in these chunks right and typically there's no end game scoring Mm -hmm. unless you have specific yellow tiles in your estate that give you end game points i mean you will score for any leftover silverlings or you know combination of workers Mm -hmm. so you'll get some little end game points here and there but stuff like that is probably would be my least favorite type of scoring Mm -hmm. my favorite way to score at the end is to just go around the table and say how many points did you get for this and then you know give everybody their points and then, okay now let's score this and score it all up all right now and so you get to see like everyone kind of progress and the tension builds up as the, as you're kind of moving along the scoring track i like that i love it when there's a scoring track and you're adding up all your points and you can see opposed to maybe a um scoring pad where you write it down you know yep. i like moving along the track i don't like 
when games don't have a scoring pad and everyone just adds up their score and then reveals it at the end. Like that's so un anticlimactic. That's so anticlimactic. Exactly. It's so lame. Like, oh, I got fifty-seven points. Oh, I got fifty-eight. Uh, last episode we talked about like the West Kingdom series, and mm-hmm. that's how it does it, right? You go through and you're like, all right, how many points do you have for you know um, buildings, or how many points do you have for this objective? And you just you're sitting there typing it out on a little calculator on your phone, mm-hmm. and yeah, just like you don't know where you sit. Yeah, have a board. If it doesn't make sense to have a board with a scoring track, then fine. Then have a notepad and then have somebody go, all right, how many points did you get for your buildings? And someone's like, eight, 16, 24. And you write that down and everyone's like, ooh. And okay, how much money did you have in coinage? Okay. And you write that down. And then you're trying to calculate it in your head like, all right, I think, you know, I like even that's better than like putting it, put it in your calculator and add it up yourself. The two games that do that, that do that well, I think. And to a slight caveat to what you're saying is Cascadia and Wingspan. Yes. Because they have two sections. Mm -hmm. So you add your points for section one, and then you have like a baseline that everyone's just like, ooh, Bob's got 36, you know, MJ's got 28, you know, Natasha's got 26. Yeah, you announce it halfway. Like, it just builds up the anticipation. It's so fun. And then you do the second half, and you're like, okay. And then you see the second half numbers, and you do some quick math in your head, right, as like the person's filling it out. Uh So you're just like, oh, I think I might have gotten it by two points. Yeah, I like that a lot. I don't like it when everyone has to score up their own and then you just reveal it. It's so anticlimactic, yeah. Well, it's tough because you don't know exactly where you sit with everyone, uh-huh. you know? And you talked about that tension that you create with like a scoring track. You like Praga, Kaput Regni, which is a game we'll eventually review. But in that game, it's the same thing. You're scoring points throughout the game and then you have some end game scoring stuff that you're working towards. You know, you have these tokens that you can build up value for. And then you're like, all right, let's do this. How many do you have of that? And then you just, all of a sudden you see, you you leap somebody. You're like, yes. Uh-huh. And then somebody leaps you and you're like, no. Yeah. And then somebody <laughs> leaps, you leap somebody. You're like, yes. It's just then, part of the game that sco- end game yeah. scoring is so fun. It's just that little waiting. Like, am I, am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to pull off the win? Am I going to pull off the win? And uh-huh. then inevitably somebody's like, oh, we score points for coins, right? Oh, I, I didn't know. I have three. And you're like, <laughs> I was beating you by two jerk you know that, that reminded me of an epic game of um ticket to ride that i played with my son mm-hmm. and we were both like super close at the very end and then we tallied up our points and then i added up all of my uh routes that i completed and then he added up his and he had exactly like he was like 100 points above me 100 and some points above me yeah. and he takes his marker up to move his thing and he goes it's 100 points the whole track around the board yeah. instead of just like moving his thing one forward he goes all the way around the board and then he starts slowing down where he gets to my piece and yeah. then jumps right by my piece and like ends up right in front of me. And he made it really dramatic. And that was just fun, you know? Yeah, there's a, there's a, it's like a victory dance. Yeah. yeah or a victory lap. Yeah. 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 He knew where it was going to end. And it was, yeah, it was fun. I like that. When it comes to kids' games, there's definitely a preferred method of scoring that I've noticed with younger kids. You Scoring is tough. Like, uh, at you know, adding on victory points is tough for young kids. Yep. So any game that where you have an objective, like a ticket to ride my first journey, doesn't have points. You just you get uh you you just gonna complete six tickets. That's a lot easier for kids to wrap their head around. So when it comes to scoring kids games, I think it really matters. So that's one of those things I wanted to bring up. Some games don't have scoring at all. Mm-hmm. You have to complete an objective first. Yeah. And if you do. You win. Or multiple objectives, yeah. Which I guess 
technically that would be the thing I hate the most. Yeah, because it's like a race. Right, because it's a racing game at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think any game that you have to complete a specific objective before anyone else is always a race game? I mean, it's a race to complete the objective, so sure. I mean, some games you complete the objective that triggers the end of the game, but then you still score points like Scythe, right? Mm-hmm. Likely, if you can trigger that, you know, you put your last objective out there, you're likely going to score the most points in that area. So you're very likely going to win the game, but not always, right? Yep. So story about Natasha and I. So I never considered Scythe a racing game. And maybe I'm a dummy because I just didn't until Natasha and I played it for the first time and she destroyed us. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not a just casual do your thing kind of a game. This is a racing game. Yeah. And again, I don't like racing games, but I love Scythe. Mm-hmm. So like the, it has this weird way of, it doesn't feel like I'm racing. It feels like I'm trying to progress the game as quickly as I can. Yeah. You need to focus on certain areas you want to complete and get them done as quickly as you can. But a game like Quest Quest for El Dorado, you have to get to the end first. And if you do that, you win. Mm-hmm. So something like that, like it's just for whatever reason, it approaches it in a way that... So that's why I wonder if every game where you have to complete an objective, is it a racing game? Maybe? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know? I've played games uh, like on Comorport where everybody has a different objective and you don't necessarily know what other people's objectives are. That doesn't feel like a racing game because you don't really know what other people are trying to complete you try to guess on what their their objective is try to stop them from completing it while still working on your own like nanti narking is a very similar concept where everyone has an individual thing Mm -hmm. that you have to accomplish and it's different yeah i kind of like that that just you just you don't know when it's gonna end yeah sometimes i don't know if i like that that it's just like it's not very common so yeah and they're not like bad, but the fact that you don't necessarily know when it can happen whenever, mm-hmm. you know, it's like in um, Inish, you announce you're going to win the first time. You have to do it once. You have to say, I'm going to win my next turn. And then they stop you and then you can just win. You can't, don't have to announce it again. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that kind of. I don't like Inish because I, I don't like how it drags on. You know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody's going to win. Okay. Everyone tries to stop them from winning. Will they succeed? And then it just makes it feel long. I don't like that. Yeah. How do you feel about um, one of the other types of scoring that you can do is acquiring tokens, mm-hmm. like point tokens? Okay. How do you feel about that? Do you like that kind of scoring where you're yeah. just like picking up point tokens? Yeah. Five tribes, right? Money yep. is victory points. Yeah. And then you can spend it throughout the game. So the couple of games that come to mind with that is like photosynthesis. When you take care of a tree, depending on where you're at in a particular circle, you're going to get a point token and they become less and less valuable as you go. Mm-hmm. So you're almost forced to try to like grab them as quickly as you can. And then another game that approaches it in a similar way is like mountain goats where you're collecting tokens based on where you're at. So if you're at the top of the 12 track, you're getting 12 point tokens that you're, if you're at the top of the five track, you're getting five point tokens. Yeah. Small game- world does a little bit like that too. You get tokens throughout the game. Yeah. That's money. money. Right. I think it's money and it's all, um, hidden information so i don't like how it's hidden i think it should be open otherwise why bother i guess you could i guess you have to keep track of it somehow but yeah that goes along with when you're playing games and you don't necessarily know how many points are people are scoring it's true yeah and then you have games like great western trail which are like hidden right Mm -hmm. you don't know how many points you're gonna have you can kind of tell but you're acquiring points throughout the game 
Mm-hmm. There's always little things like you're getting points for cows or you're getting points for this, that type of thing. So you don't necessarily know how everyone stacks up, but you generally have a feeling. Yeah, you should have you've been paying attention. That's just you know? one thing like you'll be better at it if you pay attention. But a lot of people like you're not paying attention because you're worried about your own turn. Yeah. How do you feel about the difference between scoring something like 30 to 50 points a game or scoring like 250? I mean, it's fine either way. Like, I'm thinking of Russian railroads, right? You score, like, ridiculous. Like, someone's going to beat you by, like, one or 200 points, you know? I think tapestry, too. Like, tapestry can have a big spread of points, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it's fine. It's fine when you're playing with kind of equal players they've all played before. And, you know, but if you're playing with somebody who's not very good at learning the game, it can be really unfun for you to like see people lap and lap you (laughs) you know yeah it's almost one of those things that the higher point totals you get the bigger spread you can have yeah for me if we're scoring in the 30 to 50 point range and i lose it doesn't feel that bad if i scored 37 and you scored 45 Mm -hmm. like oh okay like you know whatever i was close eight points not a big deal yeah but if we're playing a game and you score 260 and i scored 210 that feels way worse yeah but the reverse is true when if you win a game and it's only 50 points you're just like man whatever like i didn't like i won but it's not like i i don't want to say i destroyed my opponents but i didn't win by a ton of margin it was closer than what maybe i thought it was or whatever but if you beat somebody by like 100 points or whatever well, that's not fine. I don't know. I don't, I I, don't yeah, want to be I, the That's victor. true. Yeah. The more I think about it, there was one game of Tapestry where like I did really well and one person barely scored 100 and I was like in the 300 range and I yeah. actually like, it just, I felt, ugh. Yeah, I didn't, you didn't feel like a jerk. Yeah. Sorry I beat you so bad. You know, it yeah. did, just didn't feel good. No, it doesn't feel good. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is it made me, it, what got me thinking about this particular topic in general is a game called dwellings of eldervale which seems to be extremely popular and one of the things that that game does is it informs players about what percentage of points will be scored in game and what percentage of points are going to be scored end game mm-hmm. and it lets you know in the rulebook like hey 50 to 70 points is in game you know 30 to 50 points are going to be end game oh that's really nice and it got me thinking like is this something that publishers should start doing in rule books. Yeah, I love it. I like I love it inside when they have the statistics of the cards. You know, like this is the chances of you drawing this specific card. You mean in Wingspan? No, in uh Scythe and the um you know, those uh cards that give you extra power. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah but Wingspan cop- does the same thing and I love that. Yes. Yeah, especially in the objective cards, you know, it, it's like, yeah, they're, uh, this is going to score you a lot of points, but, you know, it's only 20% of the birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it makes me wonder if games should just start including that. Mm-hmm. The stats. I think that would be good to give players an idea throughout the game of how well they're doing, because mm-hmm. sometimes you just don't, sometimes you just don't know how you're doing. That's like playing a game, like a trick-taking game and not knowing how high the cards go up. Like not knowing the highest card. Oh, I have a 13. I'm going to win this trick. And then somebody pulls out a 14. Oh. Well, <laughs> you, know? When, you know, and when some people are uh, teaching me a game, sometimes I'll ask like, well, what's a good score? Yeah. You know, if the score is like 150 and I score 80, oh, well, I'm clearly not doing well. Mm-hmm. Or like if, if you end up, if they say 40, and you know, I go to this one action to get one point and know it's going to be worth it. 
Yeah. Because one point, you know, was, this game is going to be won by going one point, one point, one point. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that's a trend that they start with uh, putting all the stats on the board games. All right, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we are going to talk about how we got into the hobby. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook and send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. See you next week. See you next week.